BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Have you heard you can listen to your favorite gripping investigations ad-free? Good news. With Amazon Music, you have access to the largest catalog of ad-free top podcasts included with your Prime membership. To start listening, download the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash ad-free true crime. That's amazon.com slash ad-free true crime to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Hey, 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 Welcome I'm back. almost drunk in my apartment. <laughs> Already? We're not even 10 seconds in. Well, to be fair, I mean, mm-hmm. the call started with me and you maybe six minutes ago. I mean, that's enough to down that a right? drink. That's yeah, true. I, You're right. So, you know, I feel like, am I bad for drinking during our actual oh, no. like professional call? Hell no. Okay. Okay. Do you remember a couple of weeks ago um, <clears throat> when we were doing the Instagram live? I guess it was the first day I had debuted my man bun, my mm-hmm. top pony, whatever you want to call it. Your pebbles and look. Yeah. My pebbles, my fruity pebbles look. Um, and you were like, somebody, or maybe it was you or somebody in the chat was like, you should wear this to the office, LOL. And I was like, oh my God, no, that is like not professional. And LOL then Matt, office. Yeah, and then, I know, right? Remember offices? And then Matt um, chimed in and was like, I'm your boss, and I decide what's professional, and you should wear that into the office. It's a sad day when Matt has to decide what's (laughs) professional. Am I right about that? Especially about my hair, no less, you know? Right, right, of course. Um, But Matt is with us today, we should mention. he's. That's what he says. He says he's here. With us, physically, mentally, (laughs) has he ever been with us? It is... It might not be yeah. right, but Matt, why don't you at least say hi to the fans? Because you haven't been around in a while. Hi. Nice. Okay, cool. Cool. Uh, that cool. was the only ketchup I needed. Uh, yeah. John, what are you drinking? Because I'm on my vodka well, soda kick. I'm back into it because the weather's a little bit warmer now. It's so, By the way, it is 70 degrees. There is not a cloud in the sky. It is so sunny here in Western Maryland. And I just want to let you guys know that, like, you know, I would maybe be working outside right now. You know, working from home means I can like go outside, but I'm staying professional and I'm indoors during the most sunniest time of the day, I think at the moment. So just know that I do this podcast and I really, you know, dedicate my life and my happiness to the fans um, because it's gorgeous outside. Yeah, you're, um, su- you're really, you're such a martyr, honestly. I've thank you. You're a hero. You're a hero. Yes. Thank you. That's yes. what I was hoping you would say. Um I was going to be drinking bourbon, but at the last minute, uh, I decided to go get some coffee. So I'm just drinking coffee for now, you know, middle of the workday for us still. I don't want to be getting too crazy. I might play tennis later, which is socially acceptable at the moment. Did you make coffee or buy it? I have to admit that I bought it from a place that you don't want to know. Starbucks? McDonald's now worse than Starbucks. What are you talking about? McDonald's has really good coffee. I know they actually do. I it's just every time I tell someone I got a latte from McDonald's, they cringe and hiss at me. And I'm oh, like, those what? Those people are stupid. And stop <clears throat> talking yeah. to stupid people. You should only be talking to me ever. 
Well, absolutely. I agree. And in fact, that was Matt I was talking to. No, I'm just oh, kidding. Well, didn't say I mean, that. well, speaking of Matt, <laughs> I want to know if Matt, being the diligent father that he is, is drinking right now as well. So, Matt, are oh. you drinking grape juice and gin? <laughs> like, what are you doing right now? <laughs> I am drinking a Bloody Mary. It's a premix that I bought from a store. Traditional New England. Well, you know, times are hard. And normally I make everything for. Um, I really do. But sometimes, you know, when you're homeschooling and you're doing this and that, and you have Miles asking if you watch television and eat chocolate chip um, ice cream cookies right now as he is, then, you know, you're juggling a lot and you just want a prefix. What, Maggie? Sorry, guys. <laughs> uh, yeah. yeah, that was that was the last time we'll be checking in with Matt this episode. Yeah, um, we you just know, turned I love that he's like, off. I normally make everything fresh, and I'm like, you gave us Yingling one time. Like, are we forgetting yeah. this? But that's Let's fine. Neither neither here nor there. No hate on a pre- on a premix. Uh, but I want to get into this week's episode because yeah. how long have I been suggesting this episode for, John? Since well, we started? Well, literally since we started, I think. But we should mention, too, we are in a little bit of a group email here, the three of us, me, you, and Matt. And you were extremely excited. I think you were like, OMG, oh, my God, oh, my God. I wrote in all caps. Yeah, because I'm <clears throat> yeah, genuinely an excited person. I and, love it. And you wrote back, okay, or something. You were just like, I was like, I was great. like, ha, ha, yay. Yeah, I know. And I was like, oh, okay. No, I mean, I'm I'm so happy for you, actually. I'm glad. I love when we do these shows that we already have an interest in. Well, it's just that I feel like it's just a perfect time to do that. So let me it let is. me kick this week's case yeah, off because I'm it. the most excited. So Timothy McVeigh, I'm sure you guys have at least heard the name if you don't know the story. It's a pretty iconic, infamous name. Timothy McVeigh, yeah. Timothy, wow, McVeigh was born in 1968 in Pendleton, New York, as the middle child to two sisters, which a middle child, I think, alone is probably rough, but sandwiched in between two sisters. sisters yeah, I don't know. True. I don't know. Well, his yeah. dad, Bill McVeigh, worked at a nearby General Motors plant, and his mom, Mildred Mickey McVeigh, worked at a travel agency, but they separated in 1978 when Timothy was just 10 years old. So he's a youngin. You know who else was born yes. in 1968? 78, you mean? Who? No, 68, when Timothy was oh, born. Oh, when he was born. No, who? Andy okay. Cohen, which and obviously Cohen. means they're related. That's Obviously, big. if you're born in the that's same science. year, you're related. That's science. That's science. Duh. Yeah, that's Hello, science. duh. So his mom walked out on the family, unfortunately, and the New York Times reported she was apparently bored with her husband, Bill, a solid night shift worker in an auto plant, a loyal union man who enjoyed bowling. Okay. Okay. Not too much different than Matt. Uh, Timothy's <laughs> parents allowed him to choose who he wanted to live with, which is interesting. And he chose his dad because he blamed his mom for breaking up the family. So already I'm seeing seeds of abandonment, disappointment, yeah. and issues there. Well, I wanted to mention, too, at this point, like my parents separated when I was three. And I lived with my mom. You know, my mom raised me since then, you know, I lived with her. She had quote unquote custody, if you will. But, you know, she and my dad have had a very friendly, cordial relationship, you know, all through my life. But, you know, I remember like, you know, as any kid does when they get in disagreements with their family member, my go to strategy was always, I want to live with my dad, you know, and always was, like, screaming at the top of my lungs. Meanwhile, like, no, I didn't. I had a whole family and a whole life here. With my mom and my my main part of my family lived in where with where my mom lived. So, yeah, it's just, you, you don't really get it, right? You're just saying no, you it don't, because you're frustrated. You know what I mean? It's not any like rational thought out thing. I mean, for some it might be, yeah. but 
I would say typically it's not. No, yeah. Timothy's dad's long hours at the plant left him with little time at home, and Timothy rarely ever spoke of his mother again. But resentment over his mother would later resurface when he was in the Army. Okay, so we're just setting the scene here. An Army buddy actually told the New York Times, quote, I just remember him calling his mama the no-good whore, a slut. Words like that. He thought the world of his sister in New York, but he never had anything good to say about his mom. He didn't have contact with his mom. I know there was a problem there, but it actually wasn't even discussed much. Now, I do want to say I never called my mom any of those words when we would get well, that's good. moments. Yeah, yeah just that's to make good. that clear. I've, I've never done that either, thank God. Good. Yeah, uh, good. At, at his high school in the city of Lockport, New York, which is way upstate, you know, not too far from Buffalo, Niagara Falls, really on the border. Oh, okay, uh, I didn't even know that. In Canada. And as a population of about 20,000, not a huge not a huge town, he was so withdrawn from his classmates, sarcastically voted him most talkative in the yearbook, oh and God. former teachers did not remember him, according to the New York Times. <laughs> Seems um, a little bit of a bullying tactic. Um, definitely. And by the way, we know, should also mention... Uh, you know, I did not have superlatives in my senior year, which uh, someone in our uh, Instagram lives recently pointed out that we bring that up, Darren, pretty often for some reason. Well, we that's why I'm not saying anything. <laughs> I'm not saying. But you know who else was named most talkative in his high school? Oh. Andy fucking Cohen. I'm just saying. Oh, is he? We don't know. Interesting. I'm saying I'm working for Timothy McVeigh. I don't. I see you building a profile here. Let's keep going. Interesting. Just saying. Also, (laughs) according to the Times, quote: Everybody who met him described him the same: quiet, polite neat. Yet as commonplace as this seems, criminologists say these traits are often the stuff of serial killers, terrorists, and other solitary murderers. Okay. Well, I I think that I'm polite. And I know mm-hmm. that I'm neat, but I'm not mm-hmm. quiet. So I know you're I'm definitely okay. not quiet. In fact, I know I'm OK. That would be the very last description, I think, of you from anyone. Thank you so much. You know, in a so good well. way, in a good way. No, no, I know. <laughs> so Timothy became interested in guns at the age of 10. And at some point, he had a semi-automatic BB gun that could fire 15 rounds while most oh other boys God. in the area had single shot variety. So that seems a little wee bit intense. I've never fired a BB gun, but 15 rounds. I was going to say, uh, like, seems. <sighs> you know, kind of daunting to me. I don't even, I can't even imagine what a BB gun would look like that can do something like that. I'm going to have to research that. Well, when he was bored in school, Timothy would draw pictures of guns on his papers. That's not something you want to see as a teacher, especially now. Timothy would participate in sports with the neighborhood boys like hockey. He was often teased for his lack of coordination. It's like setting himself up for such bullying. Timothy was described as bright in high school, but he didn't seem to try much. According to the Washington Post, quote, teachers expressed surprise when the quiet, unmotivated boy with a mop of blonde hair won a state regent scholarship his senior year for high scores on standardized tests, end quote. And by the way, important to note, we've mentioned this before, and we're just talking about qualities. I mean, not every serial killer is the same, but a lot of serial killers, uh, you know, have are really smart, like high IQ, savantish, mm-hmm. like, you know what I mean? Yeah, there's so definitely something, me. I guess you could say that's non-neurotypical of people, like whether it's extreme genius or extreme mental illness. I keep thinking for some reason about Ted Bundy right now, because he even, in a sense, had a way... Like even his charisma could be described. I mean, he represented himself in court. Yeah. Yeah. So it's like he was he was smart enough to want to take that on. You know. Yeah. Exactly. So according to CNN, McVeigh had two passions as a teenager: computers and guns. Just like you, John. Well, (laughs) that's true, but not necessarily guns. But Darren, I which one of the two of us had a computer themed birthday party again? I just want to make that clear. 
That was me, and I, was did, not have mm. a, I did not have a gun theme. <laughs> no guns? Okay. So, again, good. I'm off the hook here. So, okay, in his enough. yearbook under the future plans category, Timothy wrote, take it as it comes, buy a Lamborghini, California <laughs> girls. I got to be listen, honest. That's your life. That's, that. yeah. <laughs> So the reference to the reference to girls surprised his schoolmates because he literally never had a girlfriend. And in the mid 1980s, <laughs> Timothy became an amateur hacker and once even broke into a defense department computer. That's terrifying. Even though he excelled at computers in school, wow, he dropped wow. out after a brief period at a local community college and decided not to pursue a formal education. I mean, some of those details are pretty impressive, though. Timothy became an amateur hacker and broke into a defense department computer. Now, again, this is in the mid 80s. So, you know, security might not be the same type of security that it is now. But that's pretty impressive overall in terms of like the smarts. You know, Matt, what are your thoughts about that? That really struck me because as someone who was alive and remembers the 1980s, um, you know, kids like in the mid '80s that were into computers had kind of a huge advantage. You know, like if you had a computer and you could hack something, you know, if he would have stuck with the computer route instead of the gun route, like he probably could have made a shit ton of money. You know, if you were doing that in the mid '80s, that was a big deal. Yeah, that's a good point. Hey. Take a drink. I was actually going to say the same thing, because right before he said that, you know, just us talking about how a lot of serial killers are extremely smart. You know, in my mind, I'm thinking if 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 we could take the intellect and the genius of some of these guys, you know, one different move, different upbringing, a different I don't know, whatever. Yeah. Uh, You could have channeled it into so much great, so many great things, I imagine. Obviously, we'll never know, but I think it's a good I think it's worth noting. I completely agree. And I think about this with a lot of like criminals in general that end up behind bars, especially those who are behind bars for petty nonviolent offenses. It's like, you know, what what use could they if they were truly, you know, rehabilitized, I guess, if that's the right word, rehabilitated, um, what could they do in a society? You know, it's there's something to be said about that. I completely agree with you, Darren. Um, I should think more about that next time. Anyway, um, so let's get into some of his teenage years. So Timothy's teenage years had coincided with the major economic downturn in the 1980s. Typical blue-collar employers like steel and auto plants were closing, which definitely hit my community hard here in Western Maryland. I remember the sort of after effects of that in the 90s when I was growing up. Um, Timothy's dad's plant had stopped hiring in 1979. According to the Washington Post, quote, the talk in plant workers' homes was filled with fear that the country had lost its way. Foreign competition had destroyed the American dream for their children and the federal government wasn't helping, end quote. Yeah, that sounds vaguely familiar to what we're kind of all processing right now, it sounds like. Um, well, it does It does seem like a very timely – a lot of things here seem very timely. Definitely. You know what I mean? Yeah. As a professional welder, Shayna Ford uses Forge FX to practice over and over, which helps her improve her skills. The more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. 
it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Yeah, his father told the Post, quote, there are no jobs around here unless you want to work for $6 an hour or less at a McDonald's or Wendy's. It's rough for anybody looking for work, end quote. Uh, I mean, come on. The fact come that on. this was said and you just got a McDonald's coffee. Come on. Come on. There's so many connections this week. It's clear it's Andy Cohen is Timothy McVeigh. It's just clear. <laughs> it's, me, clear. It just, it's obvious. Yeah. It's very obvious. Well, a classmate of Timothy McVeigh uh, also told the Post that race had become an issue for some of these struggling blue-collar workers. He, quote, people said if you were a minority, you had a better chance of getting an apprenticeship than if you were a white male. There was a lot of resentment of affirmative action, said the classmate. Um which, you know, you can debate that all day long, but it's a quote that we wanted to include. But, <clears throat> excuse me, while Timothy's love for computers died, his love for guns thrived in a big way. He had become obsessed with survivalism and the Second Amendment, and guns had become the focal point of basically his entire life. According to the New York Times, quote, he read about them, kept them stashed wherever he lived, constantly cleaned them and fired them in his free time. <clears throat> excuse me, they were virtually his only topic of conversation, and eventually the basis of his beliefs, end quote. And this just I, really harkens back to me, like my Funko Pops. I'm cleaning yes. them. I have, I, my I, rooms are filled with them. I'm talking about them in my free time. If you were an SAT question, it'd be like, Timothy McVeigh is to guns as John <laughs> is to blank. Uh-huh, and we could exactly. fill in Funko Pops. We could fill in Spice Girl. We could fill in Serena Williams. Like we could fill in a lot of things. Pokemon. Exactly. Matt, Matt, what do you think of my SAT problem? Well, I don't know, but I just wanted to say let's hope the government never tries to come for John's Funko Pops. (laughs) (laughs) I I mean, what a tragedy. Amidst coronavirus, that would be the biggest tragedy. You know, Waco? Yeah, that's what it would be like here. Exactly. You're not coming for my Funko Pops. Me and my grandfather would really hold you guys off. Anyway, um, yes. another interest of Timothy McVeigh's was the 1984 movie Red Dawn, which is a cult classic among the far right. Have you seen it, Darren, by any chance? I have I not, haven't. actually, yeah. no. Well, he would watch that movie over and over. It's about a group of high school students who take to the mountains to defend the U.S. against invading Russians, which to me sounds like Stranger Things or like, you know, a Marvel movie. But OK, sounds interesting nonetheless. Although it sounds um, a little bit more <laughs> realistic than Stranger Things and or a Marvel movie, but, you know, that's just me. I'm just living in my world. Yeah, sure, sure, sure. It's details. details. (laughs) Yeah, right, details. Interestingly, a survivalist group known as the Arizona Patriots would watch Red Dawn in their encampment before being arrested by the FBI in 1986- which is when I was born. Hello, connected oh, to the uh, case. Uh, just, there we go. Yeah, just before they were planning to embark on a scheme to rob armored cars to finance their bombing of power plants, dams, synagogues, and abortion clinics. A lot of drama in the 80s, guys. Yeah, um, well, the 80s, 80s was rife with a lot of drama. Also, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, the New York Times also noted that Vietnam spawned the popularity of a new cynical type of war movie. Um, typified by the Rambo series, the new archetype is a lone warrior or perhaps small band of outlaw commandos betrayed by their own government and turned renegade. So, 
you know, I think we can think of like Rambo. I'm sure there are more. I'm, it's not my genre, but I'm sure we all remember that genre of of course of movies from the 80s for sure. Well, Timothy finally landed a job driving an armored truck, a job he said he loved because of the uniform and sidearm. What's uh, what's a sidearm of an armored truck? Um, I actually don't know. Matt, do you know anything about this? I think the sidearm just means the pistol that he has, like in his in his holster, or whatever, on the side of him, his 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 arms on on his side. He gets to carry a gun. That's all it means. Got it. So it's his well, arms on his side. Got it. Thank you. Leave it. Leave it to Matt to <laughs> make things so easy for me. Timothy was remembered as a gun nut by one of his coworkers. That's clear, according to the Washington Post. Quote: McVeigh gave him rides home, tearing down side streets at seventy miles an hour. From the truck, the man said McVeigh yelled at slower drivers and grabbed the butt of his shotgun like he was going to blow them away. Listen, I have road rage, <sighs> and I'm a New Yorker, and I want to walk fast, and I want to drive fast. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I feel like my words are a little bit better than a shotgun well, but that's just me that's just not me. only that but sometimes i bet you use your sidearm to flip people off right i, I like use both sides arms both i use side both arms? side arms both of them that's Got how it. crazy i am wow look at you well, he seemed to have animosity towards women as well. No surprise there. One time a woman gave his coworker her number for a date. The coworker said he looked at the piece of paper and just ripped it to pieces. Oh my well, God. So dramatic. Yikes. It seems like something that would have happened to Matt. It's like, Jan- yeah, it's, it's like definitely. an 80s. It's kind of like the 80s version of swiping left, though. You know what I mean? Like, it's kind of like, no, nope, it's so much more dramatic. No, totally. So much. In January of 1988, McVeigh got 10 acres of woodland with a friend. He told people it was an investment and to be used for hunting. But a neighbor recalled McVeigh and his two friends spending hours shooting guns and setting off explosives that rocked the entire valley. Dear Lord, Timothy was completely directionless and felt like his life was going nowhere. So he decided to join the army, which, you know, happens to a lot of people. I think a lot mm-hmm. of people when they're they don't necessarily know what to do, they join, um, which which, you know, can give them a lot of structure and a lot of discipline. He just dreamed yeah. of becoming a Green Beret in army life. 20 year old McVeigh met 33 year old Terry Nichols of Michigan. That name probably mm-hmm. sounds familiar to a lot of you guys. Nichols was also drawn to survivalist culture and like McVeigh thought the government was coming for their guns. So when soldiers learned to make explosives in basic training, a platoon mate recalled that McVeigh boasted to fellow soldiers that he already knew how to make a powerful bomb and explained to them how to make a Molotov cocktail. So it's it kind of like me, you light something up and you throw it, you know, and it boom, yeah. kind of thing. It makes yeah. me wonder at this point, I mean, maybe we'll get into some more of the details here, but like, are his superiors like keeping an eye on him at this point? You know, if he's kind of boasting that he knows how to make explosives. I mean, there's a mental aspect of that, that if I'm in the military and I'm kind of responsible for these people in basic training, I'm keeping an eye on him. You know what I mean? I would think so, but it's also, and I don't know, I'm not in the army, but you know, the guy talk, how stressful the army is, you know, it's probably Mm -hmm. easier to wipe these things away um, and not necessarily take them as seriously just due to the circumstances you're under. That's just my guess. Yeah, um, true. So he excelled in the army, always going the extra mile and acing every test, showing strong intelligence and skills in math, science and electronics, as well as shooting. 
Honestly, no surprise there. But there was one thing that stood out against him. He was a known racist towards black soldiers. Also, he didn't socialize at bars or take any interest in women like some of his fellow soldiers, preferring to stay in and read survivalist magazines or clean his guns. This I mean, is this is getting a little obsessive. A little obsessive. Well, I mean, I, I think about this back and I'm like, I kind of get it. I don't. He didn't socialize in bars. Me either. Didn't take interest in women. Me either. Yeah, um, he's definitely a little gay kid conducting photos. Preferring, preferring to stay in, me. Um, you know, it, so I don't know. I, I'm kind of getting this in some ways. Maybe so you keep are, going. Timothy McVeigh. Maybe I Well, am. despite his obsession with guns, McVeigh recalled the intensity of basic training's viciousness. Quote, 20 times a day, it would be blood makes the grass grow. Kill, kill, kill. You would be screaming that until your throat was raw. If somebody put a video camera on that, they would think it was a bunch of sickos. And more to the point that we were just talking about is I feel like mental health and mental awareness, especially in the military, is only something that's really been super focused on in like the last decade. You know what I mean? Especially we all know that PTSD is a thing. I just don't feel like it was really given the awareness that it was due. And think about this happening in the 80s. I mean, this I'm sure... I am just sure that these military superiors were not looking at things through a filter of mental awareness, you know? I think a lot of people even now, let alone in the 80s, don't look at through a filter through it. So it's probably even worse back then. Good point. Take a drink. Well, of his time in the Army, a fellow soldier told the New York Times, quote, a lot of guys teased him. He never had any luck with girls. He was nerdy. He used to say, man, I got to go get me a girlfriend. But he never really had any luck. The New York Times interviewed a woman who may have been McVeigh's only love interest. Brief as it was, she said, she was always attracted to tall, skinny guys, but he would shoot off his mouth and just bitch about the government. End quote. <laughs> so, sounds like me, kind of. Yeah, know, like and, there's a lot of similarities here. Not that far from me. Uh, maybe if we had a love child, you know, maybe we are Timothy McVeigh's love something's child. Something's going on here, yeah. Something's happening. So she yeah. also said she got angry because he talked about Hitler. Quote, from what I remember, he said he didn't necessarily agree with all those Jews being killed, but he said Hitler had the right plan. I think he was talking oh about God. when Hitler tried to conquer the world, how he went about it. Little pieces at a time. He thought that was admirable. I didn't like him after that, end quote. Oh, okay, that's well, good. That, that's good. Um, you know, I'm a Jewish person. I, right. uh, I, I... I have You're a lot to, to say here. I'm, ha- yeah. I'm happy to hear that. Yes, I'll leave it at that. Yeah. Our friend John Douglas, actually the former yeah. FBI profile and former guest of Martinis and Murder, told the Times <laughs> that sexual frustration or a pattern of sexual inadequacy is often an underlying factor in the type of crime McVeigh committed. Mm. Let me just say, in quarantine, I bet you a lot of people are sexually frustrated right now. So I'm mm. hoping that this doesn't cause issues. Um, right. Moving That's on, moving on. A good point. Yeah, uh, let's move on from that. And moving though. on, moving on. In 1990, <laughs> McVeigh was deployed in the Gulf War, but was disappointed in how little action he saw. Although we did talk fondly of taking off an Iraqi's head with a cannon from 1,100 yards and how it was there one minute and gone the next. Mm, that's disturbing. Yeah, a little bit. It was shot so impressive that McVeigh later was awarded a couple of medals for it, according to CNN. Still, he struggled with shooting them and later telling 60 Minutes, I thought, what right did I have to come over to this person's country and kill him? How did he ever transgress against me? End quote. And I got to say, that seems like a very rational normal Ugh, thing to I say. Know. You know, in, in times of war, yeah. you know, you do you do ostensibly monstrous things that aren't yeah. right, but it's 
if it's you or them, it's got to be you. You know what I mean? Well, and, not only that, especially in the army, you're being directed by superiors to what you do. It's almost exactly. like it's not your personal decision to make. You're a soldier. Sadly. Yeah. Yeah. You're a soldier. When McVeigh returned to the Gulf, I'm just, I think that that quote though from 60 Minutes shows yeah. that he has a little bit of, mm-hmm. I don't know, like, not as much mental illness as we've seen from others. He seems to express right. empathy in some way. Yeah, that's a good way to put that, yeah. When McVeigh returned from the Gulf War in Iraq, he seemed close to obtaining his goal of becoming a Green Beret. He reported to Fort Bragg in North Carolina on April, 20, uh, April 22nd in 1991 for a 21-day assessment, but was cut after the second day. And according to the New Ooh. York Times, quote, Mr. McVeigh was different then. He had lost heart, his buddy said, and soon he took an early out from his reenlistment. So maybe this is really the turning point for him. Timothy it moved definitely back. feels like that. Yeah, it feels like that. Right. This feels yeah. like a, with all the other stuff combined. This kind of feels like the pivot. Totally. Timothy moved back to his hometown and worked as a security guard. He showed signs of emotional volatility and his view of the world and government became increasingly destructive. In March of 1992, we wrote letters to local papers complaining of the cataclysmic tax system and dismantling of the American dream. He claimed Hmm. democracy was failing and America is in decline, ending his letter with, do we have to shed blood to reform the current system? I hope it doesn't come to that, but it might. End quote. Mm, That's a little disturbing. It is, but it almost seems like he's struggling with it because he's not saying, gonna shed blood, you know, fuck this. He's saying, like, does it need to get to that point? So I'm not trying to empathize with him. I'm just saying there seems to be at least a level of consciousness that we aren't necessarily used to. And that summer, McGay reconnected with Terry Nichols, who we had become close to in the military on a farm in Michigan and sold guns at the gun show circuit under the alias Tim Tuttle. The Washington Post reported that he once advertised as an anti-tank missile launcher in the far-right national newspaper The Spotlight, which has been criticized by Jewish groups as being anti-Semitic. He regularly visited gun shops, many of which had become distribution points for militia tracks. Interesting. And in Michigan, yeah, I didn't know Michigan, that about him. And in Michigan in that time, white militias were springing up, especially in response to Bill Clinton's election after he campaigned, excuse me, partly on a platform of gun control, if you remember that in the 90s. Mm-hmm. Strangely, he also complained that the military had put a tracking device in his buttocks. Oh, oh I've complained well, that's, that, too. I've complained I, I hate when that happens. Isn't it the worst? It's, it's a little annoying. God, it's a little I go, I'm like looking behind me and I'm like, what is this military tank doing behind me? Yeah, exactly. Matt, do you have something to add to this? Yeah, I just wanted to add, there's one other thing that kept coming up that we didn't really put in the research so much, but it's another thing that John Douglas brought up in a, in a couple um, interviews, and that's that aside from the sort of sexual thing, he over and over again, according to his friends, was reported as being, like, super clean and meticulous, and he would do dishes, like, you know, for hours, and it would be stacked to perfection, and everything was, like, clean, clean, and orderly, and that was, like, another one of his defining traits, that I think he just had some crazy kind of OCD situation or something, and he was just super, super clean. So just thought I'd throw that in there. Well, yeah, we did see a little bit of that in research. Yeah, that's true. Maybe that's when we need it the most. But again, yeah. that's, but that's a good point that Matt makes because it does sort of lead to the mental, whether it's illness or a disorder or whatever it might be, something was clearly not typical, I guess you could say. Absolutely, or compulsive, obsessively compulsive right. almost, yeah. Yeah, Matt, yeah, what do you Matt, think? Matt, what else? The fact that he was sort of cut from the military or didn't make the Green Berets 
you know, I think mm. that, that, like, he, he sort of need, needs this kind of ordered world, and he d- seems to do well in it, you know, like, he did well in the military, he aced the tasks, he cleans his weapons, he does, you know, he does things that I think, like, military commanders would like, but then, since he didn't make the cut, and now he's back in the real world, and he doesn't have that ordered structure, you know, lifestyle, then he's just kind of, like, flailing around yeah yeah that's a good point that's that's a very good point i like the idea of flailing around though flailing um you know i know some people that are in the military that are very close to me and i can tell you too that a lot of people that enter the military with this mindset it sounds like this is my opinion by the way i'm not uh, assuming this is factual but the people that are perfectionists that enter the military and then maybe don't make it all the way to the very top or, you know, expect to be green berets. And in his case gets cut or, you know, doesn't reenlist. That is earth shattering to a lot of people that, that want to make a career in the military who, by the way, loves blowing shit up and, you know, using guns and cannons. I mean, when your whole lifestyle is to be proud of your expertise in this field, and then you don't really make it, Right. That in and of itself can be earth shattering to these types of people who I think are like narcissists, like from a medical standpoint, you know, that and the their ego. minds. Yeah, the, the ego. Point. Exactly. So Good I just point. feel like who knows how that contributed into, you know, the other stuff we're going to get into. And without having a personal life. I mean, if his whole life is guns and service. Exactly. And just, you yes. know, yeah, it's it's a bigger blow than I think any of us can yeah. really imagine. You know what I mean? Right. Well, I was just um, mentioning Waco, and the turning point for him seemed to be Waco. He became fascinated with the date of April 19th, uh, the date of both the Waco attack and the opening battle of the American Revolution, which I didn't realize they were the same day. Um, The Post wrote, quote, the 51-day Waco siege covered nightly on television, further turned McVeigh against the government, according to a knowledgeable source. McVeigh even traveled to Waco to witness a part of the standoff himself. In a later interview, McVeigh said he left his visit to Waco, quote, shaken, disillusioned, angered that that could happen in this country, rather, um, where our core beliefs are freedom and liberty. And what did you do to these people? You deprived them of life, liberty, and property. You didn't guarantee those rights. You deprived them of them, end quote. Very interesting. There's like so much done. We can almost do a whole podcast on just that quote, but you know, take that for what it's worth. He seems to have a lot of thoughts and theories there. But yeah, and and those thoughts and theories, by the way, just saying that doesn't seem to me to be crazy at all. No, I agree. People fight for individual rights all the time, and obviously, I'm not saying that he's sane, but just because he's saying that doesn't make Mm -hmm. him insane, if you will. Yeah, no, for sure. After that, CNN wrote that McVeigh, quote, sold firearms at a gun show in Arizona and was heard to remark on one's weapons ability to shoot down an ATF helicopter. End quote. Okay, so now he's just like, you know, judging people who may or may not be able to shoot down helicopters. Okay. As long as it can't shoot a Funko Pop, we're good. Absolutely. Please don't do that. Um, An intense paranoia set in and McVeigh began stockpiling weapons in Arizona, fearful that the government would soon launch a raid on him. But nothing worried his friends as much as when in the fall of 1994, McVeigh said he was moving to the, quote, action phase of his conflict with the federal government. He began bomb building with his old pal Nichols and another friend, Michael Fortiers. But when Fortiers found out about McVeigh's secret plan, he wanted no part of this, quote, action phase, 
end quote. Darren, if I ever come to you with an action phase, alert the authorities, by the way. Oh, please. <laughs> the moment you think it, I'm going to be alerting the authorities. Yeah, I don't yeah, want to have anything to do with your action phases. <laughs> action phases, yes. In fact, Fortier said he would never be part of a bombing plan, quote, unless there was a UN tank in my front yard, end quote. I mean, listen, this theory that, like, I don't know. Maybe we shouldn't get into conspiracy theories and things like this, but this mindset that like the government is some dystopian Hunger Games level, you know, I, I just never quite get the rationale behind the extreme part of those theories. I mean, on one hand, I understand the surveillance part of things because we have seen some of that in recent years alone, but this thing that like a UN tank is going to pull into someone's front yard is just so bizarre to me. I don't know. Maybe it's not something well, for this I mean, podcast. I think, I think for him, and I, and I can at least say that, and Matt, I want to get your thoughts on it just after I say this, is that I think, you know, he's clearly in this... It's one thing to not trust the government, right? I think that that's a right. fine. As, as as citizens, we need to be skeptical of just anything in general, exactly. you know, yeah, or like a, a, at least verify these things. But yeah, UN tank in the front yard. But clearly, this is where <laughs> Timothy's, let's say, mental illness, you know, his obsessiveness, that's his what cleaning I mean. his guns, his planning for this action phase. I mean, clearly, he's in the in the mindset to think that this could happen. Hence, him going forth yeah. with this plan. What do you think, Matt? I found it fascinating. The- the Waco thing to just be fascinating because like he's so bothered by it and also I think a lot of people you know in this that have, that have this like militia mentality were just like him you know like they were probably all talking like can you believe this happened and like this whole quote about like where core beliefs of freedom and liberty and what did you do to these people but like you're just presuming that these were like innocent good people you know, maybe they had some weapons, and then the government just, like, came and killed them and seized their property. But, like, in reality, he didn't know fucking anything about Waco. You know, he didn't know anything that was going on. Like, there was a madman breaking all kinds of laws, and he should have been brought to justice, and it's a shame that it turned into a bloodbath, but, you know, the people, like, he's not above the law, and that commune or whatever they are, they're not above the law. Like, he can't just go around raping people and saying he's Jesus Christ or whatever. You know, so, like, but they're going to be, you know, McVeigh and, like, the militia people are going to be so upset about it without even knowing what's going on. That's such a great point, Matt, because it's such a great yeah, example is. of, you know, a historical example of, you know, with quotes and, and details about what some people think is happening and then what actually happened. And I wonder if we can apply that same logic and knowledge to current events sometimes, because especially in the age of social media, I mean, imagine if Timothy McVeigh was part of these social media, fa- like even the like Facebook groups where they were able to mobilize and kind of start this kind of stuff exponentially faster who knows what he would have been capable of um so it's interesting both good points yeah really good points Anyway, so McVeigh wrote a letter to the Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, and Firearms entitled ATF Read that said, quote, All you tyrannical motherfuckers will swing in the wind one day for your treasonous actions against the Constitution of the United States, end quote, according to True TV, which is very a very disturbing image to, to think of there. 
Um, well, I mean, considering, you know, you can think what you want about ATF, but all of you tyrannical motherfuckers, I mean, these people are still people with families. And, of course. You know, I mean, this, this is the language now that you're getting in of, of real threats right. here and just yes. very scary territory. Well, McVeigh and Nichols robbed a prominent gun collector of tens of thousands of dollars worth of weapons and used it to fund their bomb making. CNN wrote, quote, the circumstances of the bombing preparations are in dispute. What is known is that McVeigh informed Nichols and Fortiers of his intentions and convinced the former to help him purchase the necessary materials and prepare the bomb. McVeigh has consistently claimed that nobody else was involved. Nichols remained silent when offered a chance at lenience by giving up other conspirators, end quote. So interesting details there as well. But regardless, on April 19th, the date that he was interested in, 1995, McVeigh and Nichols packed a rider truck like a U-Haul full of powerful explosives. McVeigh wore his favorite shirt that said Six Semper Tyrannus, which means thus ever to tyrants, the words Booth shouted when he shot Lincoln. So many, so much symbolism happening here. Yeah, this is, this is a lot. Yeah. And McVeigh drove the truck to the front of the Oklahoma City Federal Building at 9.02 a.m. Interestingly, it wasn't the original target. The courthouse was, but the truck was too tall to fit into the garage. Wow. Yeah, I know. I I didn't know that detail either. Um, He lit a two-minute fuse, walked away, and blew up the north face of the nine-story building. And we all probably remember, at least, Darren, those of us who are... The imagery. Yeah, the imagery of of that that front of that building. Um, emergency crews raced to Oklahoma from across the country to help. The rescue efforts took two weeks to complete. The wow. blast killed 168 people, including 19 children on a second floor daycare and injured 684 others, according to the Oklahoma Department of Health. More than 300 buildings were either damaged or destroyed in the immediate vicinity. I mean, this was a major blast. Yeah. Um, until 9-11, of course, it was the largest terrorist attack on American soil. Yeah. And listen, I mean, that's one blast with a guy a hundred killing 168 people, let alone the other inju- injuries and in the buildings. I mean, yeah, that is a larger number than we've ever covered on this show. Yeah, that's true. You know, well, the Sadly. FBI conducted some interviews with some other survivors. Florence Rogers, the CEO of the Federal Employees Credit Union, was in the Alfred P. Murrah Federal Building in Oklahoma City the day of the bombing. Florence had gone into work early and had pictures from a cruise vacation she had taken the week before. She said she was planning to share them with the gals when we met that morning. Ugh, that's crushing. Sitting in her chair behind her it desk is. when the bomb went off, Florence said, quote, All the girls that were in the office with me disappeared. I thought they had ran out and left me alone. I started hollering, where are you guys? Where are you guys? End quote. Later, she learned that, quote, the seven floors above us had took them down into what was eventually known as the pit. Florence, who was thrown to the floor during the blast, explained, quote, I found out later that there were only 18 inches of exterior wall that did not break away, which kind of helped me there. And my desk was sitting at an angle ready to topple over into this hole that the bomb had made where all my employees had landed. The pit, essentially, if you will. End quote. Mm, Can you yeah. imagine, like, hearing all these stories after Ugh. 9-11, after a school I know. Of just like, you know, I took a left. But if I had taken a right that day, like I normally would I have, if my desk was positioned at a 45 degree, it's just like, wow. Well, Florence lost 18 employees in the explosion, and she said they were like my daughters, some of them. Some of them had worked for me 
decades. And it hurts me to see their families to know that here I am trying to have, I'm having a great grandbabies and those families won't ever have that opportunity. End quote. Yeah. That's between the daycare and this, I mean, it's all tragic. It's just, it's just so hard to, and she says, quote, it's never gone away. I mean, yeah. How can you ever, how can you ever recover from something like that? Florence actually retired early and another survivor, Amy Downs talked to the today show in 2018. She was also a credit union employee and was 28 when the bomb went off and she was trapped under rubble for more than six hours. She said to the today show quote, I had all this regret for how I'd been living my life. It was one of those things where I literally promised God that if somehow, if I somehow made it out alive, that I would never live my life the same. And I've tried very hard to live up to that claim End quote kind of what happened Mm. to Cat Stevens. Actually. I don't know if you know that story. No, I don't. Uh, Do you know what Cat Stevens is? Yeah. Okay. You know how he has like an Islamic name now? No, I didn't know that. Islam. Yeah. He was, uh, can't remember the exact details, but essentially he was he was almost drowning to death. And he told God that if he saved him, he would live like a pious oh. life of religion. And he, you know, he was saved. Yeah. And so wow. he devoted his life to religion, which is why he's not Cat Stevens anymore. I see. So just a side tangent. Look at you. Well, this is why we keep you around here, Darren. This is why. This is it. That's the only reason. <laughs> and there's little trivia facts. Yeah. Well, Amy also said that when you live life through something that traumatic, you live it every day. Amy was 355 pounds at the time of the bombing. And despite the trauma and having flashbacks, she lost 200 pounds and became the CEO of a credit union. She literally lost like two people on her Good. body. That's amazing. Yeah, it's incredible. Quote, she just doesn't let anything stop her, said her friend. Clearly, I mean, she talked about making lemonade out of lemons here. Totally, yeah. After Timothy McVeigh would later die from lethal injection, Amy said, quote, I didn't think it would do a thing for me, but I was shocked because it did bring a lot of healing. To see the justice system play out that way, that was huge. End yeah. Quote. I mean, I definitely don't want to take anything away from her relief, um, you know, and the healing that she got from that, despite if I don't believe in, in that among the children in the daycare during the bombing, six were actually rescued. Joseph Weber was one year old. He suffered two ruptured eardrums, a broken jaw and left arm, a concussion and multiple facial and body lacerations. This kid was one and he survived this. Yeah. And oddly enough, as of 2015, he's studying zoology at Oklahoma state university. So that's a, that's a feel good story, you know, right there. I love it. Chris Nguyen was six years old and is thought to have survived because he was playing in the bathroom when the bomb went off. He suffered a broken jaw, ruptured eardrums, brain trauma, and had horrible nightmares for years. As of 2015, he was a guest relations representative for the Oklahoma City NBA team, The Thunder. And he told the Daily News, this tragedy doesn't define us. Oh my God, I just got chills when you read that. I just love that kind of inspiration. I mean, I've, I've said this before, you know, it's like... I do think this is why I'm a more positive person because I do yeah. think like the human ingenuity and just human mm-hmm. beings itself and coming back. I mean, the 7 PM clappy hours we've been sort of having all over the country, but specifically New York, it's, it's, it's really positive and it's something mm-hmm. nice to see out of all this. Well, some of the other children suffered brain trauma, seared lungs leading to permanent breathing issues and third degree burns over much of their bodies. Mm. Only 90 minutes after the blast, an, an Oklahoma City Highway Patrol trooper named Charlie Hanger saw a rusty yellow 1977 Mercury Marquis with no license plate and he pulled it over. 
That's mm. that's 90 minutes. Wow. And Hanger was mm-hmm. a trooper. So by the book, that local swore he ticket his own mother, according to the Los Angeles <laughs> Times. Inside was McVeigh in military boots and a windbreaker, but missing proof of insurance or a bill of sale for the car. Not looking good. No. He claimed he was on a long road trip, but there were no bags in the car. As he pulled out his license, Officer Hanger noticed a bulge under his jacket, a shoulder holster containing a loaded Glock and a six-inch knife. Oh, okay. McVeigh told the officer, my gun is loaded. And the officer put his gun to McVeigh's head and said, so is mine. What? Okay, that's interesting. Wow. McVeigh was booked on a weapons charge. It would take days for the rear axle of the bomb truck, blown two blocks away to reveal a VIN number, eventually leading investigators to the car rental mm. company and to McVeigh's hotel. Only a VIN lo- number, assuming it would be a vehicle identification number, which yes. all vehicles have like somewhere on them, yeah. Yes, absolutely. Only luck of delayed hearings kept McVeigh in jail long enough for him to be connected to the bombings. Wow. Yeah. That's only luck. And we know I'm not a fan of delayed hearings, but maybe that's maybe there's a good thing that could there's something. Yeah, that's true. And Terry Nichols, uh, his friend, surrendered the same day McVeigh was identified as the bomber. The other thing, too, and like thinking of that officer, it's like. You know, this this guy just blew up a huge building in downtown Oklahoma City. I would assume, I mean, obviously the officer doesn't know this, but thinking in retrospect, like, I wonder if that, you know, I would have been worried that that car was, like, rigged with more explosives. Like, who knows, some kind of, like, suicide bomber, if, you, if he's capable of blowing up that giant building. You know, I'm curious, because we hear about a lot of these terrorists that destroy and then sometimes you know go on to suicide and he didn't do that so i wonder why i'm very curious i wonder if and this is just conjecture but i do wonder Mm -hmm. if if he thought that what he did was right you know and he wasn't scared of death because he was willing to die by the sword for it you know what i mean because he really fully believed in what he was doing clearly yeah well that's true well let's get to the trial now so mcveigh was charged at first only for the eight federal law enforcement agents he killed that day only the killing of federal agents allowed prosecutors to to try him under the federal law, allowing for capital offenses, a.k.a. the death penalty. McVeigh was convicted of all 11 counts of conspiracy and murder and sentenced to death. He entered the courtroom smiling and showed no emotion when the judge read his verdict. Rather than inspiring the right-wing fringe of America, McVeigh became the most hated man in America. Regardless, McVeigh dropped all his appeals and requested his execution be broadcast on live TV for the American people. He said, quote, what are we doing with the death penalty? It appears government agencies use violence as an option all the time, end quote. I could make an argument there that (laughs) he's not necessarily incorrect. Uh, You know, um, I I do agree with that. I do agree with that. He seemed that he wanted he seemed like he wanted to die a martyr of sorts to his cause. Much like the planned survivalist he was, McVeigh methodically planned his execution. His last words chosen long in advance were a poem by William Ernest Henley. Uh, here's the poem for you guys that might be interested. Under the bludgeonings of chance, my head is bloody but unbowed. Beyond this place of wrath and tears looms but the horror of the shade. And yet the menace of the years finds and shall find me unafraid. It matters not how straight the gate, how charged with punishments the scrolls. I am the master of my fate. I am the captain of my soul. End quote. It's a really good poem. I mean, think about it sort of being... Uh, tied to Timothy McVeigh's last words. But I will say, you know, when you're willing to die for your cause as a martyr, he didn't he didn't care about the consequences. He was so gung ho about what he felt, you know what I mean? And that that I think tracks with just the whole story and him coming to light with all of this. 
I agree. He was executed by lethal injection in 2001 and was the first federal execution since 1963. That's a pretty long time. Yeah. Not long enough, but yeah. Yeah. The New York Times reported that, quote, the last American executed for a federal crime was Victor Fugger, who was hanged in 1963 in Iowa for kidnapping, end quote. Nichols was later convicted of 160 life sentences without the possibility of parole, according to History.com. Decades later, major questions are still unanswered. Why did just a meticulously crafted plan have a getaway car with no plates, an easy target to be pulled over? That's interesting, too. Yeah, exactly. As The Guardian wrote, quote, despite the government's insistence that the case has been solved, we don't know the exact origin of the plot or how many people carried it out. The federal indictment against McVeigh and Nichols, the latter fronted the money and did most of the bomb's construction for McVeigh, made specific mention of others unknown. And when their trials were almost over, the presiding judge publicly urged the FBI and other law enforcement agencies to keep investigating. The plea fell largely on deaf ears, end quote. That's very interesting. I didn't know about that. I mean, it's a huge bomb. You kind of have to wonder, you know what I mean? Like, how the fuck did they do that? Yeah, and who helped with that, basically? Right. Well, the New York Times wrote, quote, after he was linked to the attack, the country learned of a right wing netherworld where anti-government propaganda flourishes and dark conspiracy theories of a new world order are spread by the Internet and shortwave radio. End quote. Mm-hmm. Does that sound similar to, you know, I don't know, recent years? I don't know. Well, mm. I mean, there's definitely a dark web out there. And I think uh, that's true. People are sort of aware of what the dark web is, but like, mm-hmm. it's one of those things that's like so daunting that they don't necessarily want to like dive in. Um, but it does exist, you know, certainly not in, you know, the early 90s and 80s. There was no like social media to be had. So the right. Internet existed, obviously. So these forms were there. But uh, I, I think even now it's just, you know, Reddit. My God, you know, I don't even I know. know how many Hitler threads there are in Reddit. You know what I mean? Like, it's yeah. just it is kind of crazy. I don't even want to know the depths of the Internet because it terrifies me. But I feel I'm like, glad we got to yeah. cover Timothy McVeigh. Sorry. Yes. Interrupt. No, I'm interrupting you. Sorry about that. Um, yeah, I think now's a good time to plug a great uh, series we have on Oxygen.com called Dark Web Exposed. And it's a digital exclusive series. You can go and watch all kinds of very, very interesting uh, you know, theories and videos with some really great research and reporting um, about dark web theories and things like that. It's very yeah, good. It is. It um, is. Okay, Darren, I, are you feeling great that we were finally able to get your Timothy McVeigh episode on our roster I of podcasts? Was. Matt, are you excited that you made my <laughs> dream come true? <laughs> yes. Um, always happy to try and do that. Um, now, I just like the one final thought that I had about McVeigh, and it's just, it's fascinating to me. It's just like, there's so many contradictions, you know, like, he seemed like a really smart guy, but at the same time, like, the contradictions are just a lot. Like, first of all, if you hate the government, you don't trust the government, why are you going to go fight for the government and sign up for the art? Like, it's like, it's, it's almost like he didn't become an elite soldier for the government, which was his whole goal in life to become a green beret. So then he was just going to try and destroy the government. You know, like why are you on the one hand fighting for the government and then hating the government? It makes no sense to me. And then also another contradiction, you know, it's interesting that he had a problem with 
you know, he was proud to kill that one Iraqi guy, but then he had problems with it later. And he was like, why, why did I, like, what, what, why did he deserve that? What did he ever do to me? Well, what did 168 people and a lot of them, you know, kids in a fucking daycare do to you? Like, and then he's going to smile when he comes into court and hold his head high and act like he's done something great and read this poem about the stoic poem. Like, it just doesn't make sense. Like, he's just a man full of contradictions. It's like, he doesn't know what the fuck he thinks, is my opinion. Uh, well, I mean, I think, you, I, think you make a, I think you make a good point. I would say that, you know, him showing, and I don't know, I'm not him, but... Obviously, he believes he's a martyr, obviously believes whatever he did, whatever views he believes he was he was trying to get the word out there for his cause. And I think he wasn't I would imagine he wasn't necessarily thinking about the daycare kids and the employees who have children and husbands and wives and sisters and brothers. I feel like he was thinking about the entity as a whole and how to get the message out there with the most dire consequences. But yeah, I'm not trying to make, I I don't think any one of us are saying that he's like a rational, sane person in any sort of way. Clearly much contradiction. I mean, you can, you can fight in the army and not have to blow up a fucking federal building. So he, he clearly has a lot of issues there. <laughs> yeah. And I think, too, just I want to say one last thing, too, based on what Matt was just saying. People that do things like this, at least in my experience in life, they're only really talking to each other. There's sort of this echo chamber of these types of people that get into these bubbles and they think that they're right because they're in agreement with other people that think similarly to them. And he may just be in that world where it's like in that group of people or in these militias or this quote, new world order, you know, he is risen to the top in terms of most effective or most, I guess you could say loudest in getting their points across. So right. to put it through the perspective that he would be a rational human being in society, it just has to go out the window like early on in his life. Frankly. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, we love to talk about this stuff. If you guys want to hit us up with your thoughts, you can text or text us. You can uh, tweet us at Jay Thrasher and Carpe Darren. You can also hit us up on Instagram at the bartenders on Instagram. We're all over the place. It's the joy yeah, of martinis are. and murder. Damn right. Should we do listener shout outs quickly? Yes. Let's end on a positive note. This one was so funny. I just had to include it. I like both of these listener shout outs a lot. Yeah, they're both really funny. Delaney on Twitter says, why does Darren's weepy voice killer impression sound like Mickey Mouse? What do you mean? I don't know what you're talking about. Hey, Goof. Oh my God. I I don't know. I have no idea what she's talking about. That's really good. Yeah, I love that. Thank you. Uh, (laughs) Appreciate it. If you don't Uh, know what she's talking about, go back and listen to our weepy voice killer, Darren's impression. Is the weepy voice killer. Yeah. never know. Uh, Whitney on Twitter says, No one, not a single soul. At Jay Thrasher every episode. I'm from Maryland. Love you. I wish I was drinking the BSB and Cherry Coke with you, too. Bourbon and Cherry Coke are meant to be. (laughs) Whitney, I fucking love you for this. Listen. Now we can use that same thing with superlatives. No one. Absolutely no one. That's true, yeah. I didn't have superlatives in my high school. Yeah, I didn't have superlatives. Yeah, Listen, I love, by the way, that I mentioned Maryland like three or four times at the beginning of the show as well. Um, 
the thing is, everyone is, you know associates you and I, Darren, as New York New Yorkers. So now that I'm not in New York, I'm setting the scene as any professional broadcaster would do, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. I want people to know where I am. That's all part of my professional you're skills. You're just setting the scene. That's mm-hmm. all. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's all. That's it. All well, right, guys. guys. Thank you for our coverage <laughs> of Timothy McVeigh. Um, yes. We hope you liked it. If you have anything to contribute, please let us know. Uh, John yeah. already said all the social handles. And uh, That's right. we will see you guys or uh, hear you guys. You'll hear us next week. All right. Bye. From the people who brought you The Thing About Pam, a story of fraud, power, and pride, motive for murder, a new Dateline podcast. Subscribe now wherever you listen.